welcome to the podcast. Tell us what you really think. Where Sean and Anthony basically just tell you what we really think. We cover all things property, finance, and technology. And we are brought to you by www.ratetracker.com.au. Anthony, welcome back to Tell Us What You Really Think. Thank you, Sean. Mate, when do you read your news? What time Ooh. of the day? What do you go to? Yeah, probably, yeah, AFR, early yep. in the morning. Early in the morning? Uh, and then at night. So don't and get a lot of time during the day. So you wake up, depress yourself, and then <laughs> yeah. you depress yourself before you go to bed. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, we'll I certainly only read certain articles. Though, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, uh, I just see the headlines on the first four pages and generally just go to around page five. They start getting a little bit lighter. So. Yes. Um, and that brings us on to that topic we were chatting about before we uh, before we recorded the show. Like, what, what the headlines around the world now? What mm. things have changed in, in news in the way it used to be? Um, yeah, it's always conf- uh, confrontational. Yeah, the first the first articles and people, uh, yeah, t- trying to I guess pull on their emotions. That yep. must work for them yep. to get more readers. So. It's uh, no doubt always de- negative. Yeah. I wonder if they do marketing courses to see what, what triggers people's emotion, what gets clicks and all that sort of thing based on how much they can uh, make someone think that they're going to be uh, affected negatively by something in the news. But anyway, that's mm. the way they do it. Yes. So what are we talking about today? Yeah, we've got some great topics. We're, uh, we headed over to Sydney to go to the uh, Australian Financial Review Crypto Summit. That was awesome. So we've got some great takeaways there to share with our listeners. Mm-hmm. Uh, interest rates, hot topic, uh, and we'll talk about why, if they do go up, and it's not if, no, when, um, why it's not a bad thing. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, and then we might cover off on the uh, the Grand Prix. It's finally yeah. back, uh, back in Melbourne. Um, lots and lots and lots of people around. Um, I also noticed I was walking down Clarendon Street the other day, uh, and it was heaps of Europeans. So whether whether Fantastic. they were, I don't I don't know if they were coming from overseas for the races yeah. um, over the weekend, but they were definitely uh, they were definitely out in force out at the restaurants. Everything was packed. Great was to see. Mm. Great to see. Haven't seen them in a while. Yeah, definitely. Uh, as we do every episode, we'll cover off on uh, the quick Australian property update, whether it is boom or gloom. So in a couple of minutes, let's cover off on uh, on this and see where things are at. Fantastic. So. No doubt we've seen property prices starting to slow. Mm-hmm. Um, n- not so much go backwards, but just slow in terms of the amount of growth. Uh, and, and we like to see what CoreLogic have got to say because they've got some amazing data in regards to property prices and mm. seeing that, um, yeah, apparently Sydney uh, prices actually fell by 0.2. Look the out. And uh, in March, and then Melbourne property prices fell by 0.1. So let's get out there. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, and Tim Lawless, who's probably I think he's the uh, head researcher or mm-hmm. something like that. Um, he, he 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 made a comment of um, he's expecting prices to fall mm-hmm. and will speed up in these markets and there's a bit of downward pressure coming up and but th- but they're not expecting it to crash. Yeah. Which which is seems to be the case, but who really knows? Mm-hmm. But then it's like it, it's funny because like. We seem to like look at this with a little short lens, always, and it's and it's not over a prolonged period. So, if we go cast our minds back to twenty twenty one, zoom out a bit, <laughs> and twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one, which is seems a long time ago, but you look at some of the growth that we saw, mm. and we saw regional property grow up to thirty percent in some areas, mm-hmm. and and metro prices grow um, up to twenty or even more, and and you look at the change in the dwelling values, which is another core logic. 
report that came out. Mm -hmm. So when you look at over a prolonged period, over the last 12 months, Brisbane prices went up by 29.3%. Adelaide, 26.3%. Canberra, 21.6%. Hobart, 22.3%. Then jumping to um, Sydney, 17%. And Melbourne, about 10%. So... Yeah, when you look at over a prolonged period, mm. um, there's no doubt that there's been some amazing growth mm. and some not sustainable growth. Yeah, exactly, and definitely room to move down. Now, we history hasn't hasn't been too kind to us in property downturns as far as it's very rarely gone more than 7 to 10%. Very, yes. very rarely. I think there's been two or three occasions in the last you know, three decades. Mm. If that happened, and like you said, you zoom out, we actually haven't gone down. Like we're still we're still anyway fifteen to twenty percent up over the, over, the, over the three year period. So I think it's important people do zoom out and have a look at that um, through mm. through a bigger lens than just looking at what's happening today and what's happening next month. Yep, for sure. Nice. So over to you, Sean, because you're the crypto man. Well, what do you was, think about the summit? Mate, it was good. Yeah. It was good. It was a good summit. Very well run. Um, the, I liked the, the the number of presenters that came on and the variety of their opinions was good. Um, I reckon the longest presentation was what half an hour, maybe. Yeah, Just short that. sharp. They were short sharp. Twenty minutes. They had three or four people on each panel. They'd go in, mm. wham bam. The journalists were actually quite impressive. They yeah. knew they knew a lot more than I thought they were going to know. Absolutely, yeah. ASIC and Austrac knew a lot less than I expected <laughs> them to know. I mean, yeah. they are the ones that are making the decisions on the on the future of this technology in this country. Um, the future of this technology globally is is unstoppable. Um, mm. The adoption rate is three times faster than the adoption of the internet when it first came out. Yes, um, we heard we heard a number of people speak throughout the day, pointing at different metrics to show how fast and how quick this is growing which is probably why it is in a lot of senates and a lot of governments at the moment being discussed, what do we do? How do we approach it? Mm. Um, You know, how do we regulate it? Which regulation is important. Without regulation, it's not going to to get mass adoption. Yes. So we definitely need regulation. And that's what the summit was mostly around. Mm. It was mostly around what what does the uh, regulation of crypto look like? Um, How can we protect consumers from being, you know, um, phishing attempts and scams and that sort of thing, which exist everywhere. They exist on eBay, they exist on PayPal, they exist in every, everywhere that, where there's money, there's going to be scams. Yes. So we're never going to be able to get rid of that entirely, but we need to protect people from large-scale scams, Ponzi schemes and that sort of thing, which over time, as the market cap grows, it will, it will go down that path. But I think one of, the most, one of the most irritating topics for me was that each bank... And each, uh, and this is not just in Australia, this is globally. So ANZ have now launched their official digital currency, which is cool, um, pegged to the Australian dollar, um, doing all the things it's meant to do. They're going to go and build their own. Yes. That means that for that to work outside the ANZ ecosystem, they need every other bank to build on that same blockchain. Yes. Otherwise, those blockchains won't speak the same language. So you can't have Commonwealth Bank go out and build their own. Um, so a, set, uh, a central bank digital currency is known as the CBDC. You see it a lot in the news. You're going to see it a lot more. Yes. The CBDCs, uh, you know, Commonwealth banks won't deal with the Bank of America. Mm-hmm. So if you've got, a, if you've got a, a, a transfer that you need to do from Australia to the US, right now, if you did that, you can transfer your Australian dollars, you pay the commission on the exchange, yes. and then they, it dumps into their account in, in US dollars. However, with something like uh, blockchain technology, 
I can transfer you my 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 coins, my tokens. Let's call it Bitcoin, mm-hmm. because I think Bitcoin is a is a is effectively a perfect solution to that. A universal um, you know, borderless transfer system where I can transfer you my Australian dollars into your US account as Bitcoin. You can swap it into your US dollars and pay fractions, cents in commission, yeah. as opposed to going to Western Union paying $75 for the transfer or going through your bank, paying potentially hundreds of dollars. I transferred some euros to my uncle and it was like $300 worth of commission. Yeah, crazy. Just for me to transfer the euros to the other side of the world. I can do that with Bitcoin in, in a couple of seconds yes. with, no, with effectively no fees. It's like cents, yes. maybe very, very small dollars. Yes. So I don't know why the banks are going in the path of all trying to build their own. Mm, it doesn't make sense. It's a perfect solution. They're yeah. saying that they are not happy with the... There's no one they can go to about the regulation of Bitcoin. Yeah. Which is why it's so good, because yes. no one can control it. Correct. So you can't have a bank do anything that is that is untoward. Yes. Your users are going to use it however they will. The large majority are going to use it for good. Yes. There are always going to be cowboys. There's cowboys with cash. Yes. There's cowboys with credit card scams. There's, there's cowboys stock with banking systems. There's stockbrokers that are cowboys. There's bankers that are cowboys. <laughs> Look at the GFC. That was because of a fraudulent banking system. Yes. So I think... As the sooner the banks see that there is already a perfect solution in the world yes, and that with a market cap of only, I think it's just under a trillion dollars US at the moment for Bitcoin, mm-hmm. the entire crypto market is only about 2.06 trillion mm-hmm. as at April 2022. When it gets to 5 trillion, 6 trillion, the market won't be so volatile because yeah. uh, you won't have such a small amount of people that can make such big impacts to the, to the volatility. Yes. At the moment, you can. And it's probably going to be like that for the next few years. So we'll see. Um, ASIC's, ASIC's take on the regulation, I'm only concerned that they're trying to make the cryptocurrency environment or blockchain environment fit traditional regulation rules. Yes. It is new. It is something that needs new thinking. We mm. can't try and adopt the stock market rules to the crypto market. Yep. We need to come up with new rules. Technology is different, methodology. Everything's different. different. Yeah. So, and not, not, not massively different, but different enough that we need to have some new forward-thinking people and they, uh, ASIC have been consulting with blockchain companies. So we had some really good speakers that, uh, that spoke about that. We might even put some links to these people's pages in our, in our podcast. For sure. Um, because, yeah, they're really, really interesting people to follow. Yeah, for sure. But it was also good to hear for some of the, I guess, uh, early adopters and some of the fund managers that are leading the way, like um, Mark Carnegie. Yeah, he was he was, uh, wicked. He was awesome to to listen to and mooch. From his, uh, I think he's from New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's one, another fund manager. So th- there's a lot of big players that are in the space, well and truly already, mm. and they're kind of leading the the way. But then the regulators seem to be a long way behind. So yeah. At, at points in the um, conference, I was a little bit confused with how it all worked. <laughs> but by the end of it, I was, I was really understanding. So for the people out there that kind of put it in the too hard basket, definitely just start learning about it. Yeah. Because it's, it's the way of the future. It, it is. And I think um, I think the front page of the Australian Financial Review uh, the other day was no longer on the fringe. Crypto is no mm. longer on the fringe. And it's not. It it's is, not. It's broken through. Yeah. So no, watch this great. space. Fantastic. Now onto our uh, the, the the necessary evil in uh, in in home loans, property, and uh, banking. 
is yeah. interest rates. <laughs> um, a lot of lot of hype, a lot of talk. What are we going to do? Are they going to go through the roof? Are they, and then we've got people like Clive Palmer coming out say he's going to put a 3% uh, hard cap, cap on interest rates. <laughs> um, that would be nice, Clive. <laughs> but I'm not sure who pays the, the bill for the money yeah, on those. But give us a rundown on, uh, on, on what we think is going to happen with the interest rates. Yep, fantastic. So... Huge amount of speculation. It's interesting, six months ago compared to now, it's completely different conversations. Mm. The RBA back then was starting to talk about, uh, you know, rates aren't going to move to 2024. The uh, Governor Lowe... Or it's going it well. He's, yeah, he, he just, it seems like he's stubborn mm. and he doesn't want to change his old ways of thinking. Mm. But he, things are crazy out there, like yeah. in terms of inflation and all those key indicators they look at. So... With interest rates, it's not a matter of when it's, uh, if it's when rates will go up, but the key consideration is how quickly it will go up. Mm. So that's really going to determine what happens and, and the ripple effects. Mm. So what we've seen in the market already, though, is fixed rates have significantly gone up again. Yeah. So ING, I think, with the first, uh, with the latest bank to go up again with their fixed rates by 0.75. And that's, I think, five times now in six months. Their fixed yeah. rates gone up, so that's that's and they're they're pricing the futures uh, interest rate. So fixed rates have gone from yeah one point eight one point nine to nearly four percent. So Nuts. we've spoken about it previously about it's not in in the best interest to probably want to fix now because the rates are so no, high. No, I haven't fixed any for months with clients. Yeah, it's just it's, the con- consideration just isn't there. So it seems like yeah they, they've missed the boat a bit. The RBA to maybe incrementally go up, and mm. it seems like it's going to aggressively go up, which mm. which isn't an ideal scenario. But anyway, we have to be guided by them. Yeah. But then we've got to once again look at it over a longer period of time and the history of interest rates and what's actually happened. So we're starting we're squabbling over rates being from two percent going up to maybe two and a half three percent from a variable point of view because mm-hmm. that's what interest rates are. But if we bring it back to 1987, now, Sean, what were you doing in 1987? Where were you? Mate, I don't even know if I was a spark or in, uh, <laughs> yeah. in an eye at that point. <laughs> but I'm sure it was a great year. <laughs> Not as good as the following year. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, you look back in 1987, this is anecdotally, I had this conversation actually with my mother-in-law the other day, talking about interest rates, and she's like, when I was growing up in 1987, interest rates got up to 17%. So here we are worrying about racing to go up to 3 or 4%. Mm. And they had to deal with that. So, and if you look uh, over the history of interest rates, and, and we got a chart that we, we found and we looked at back in, um, yeah, back in 87, it got up to 17, 18%. Then GFC time, it, it went from about 4% up to about 9% back mm-hmm. in 2008. So you look at some of those rates people had to go through, I don't think it's that bad and it's not sustainable to have interest rates at 2% because look what's starting to happen. Yeah. Property prices were getting away from everyone. Affordability wasn't there anymore mm. for a lot of people, including especially first-home buyers. Yeah. They were trying to buy properties a few years ago for four, 500000 Now it's now, entry six, seven. Oh, yeah. Mm. And the medium house prices are cracked over a million. Yeah, it's not not sustainable. And it's not sustainable. So rates do need to go up. There's there's no doubt. Mm. It would be nice if it went up a bit slower than what they're now um, suggesting it's yeah. going to go up. <clears throat> That'll cripple a lot of people. Yeah, especially when serviceability and people were relying on their max borrowing capacity. A lot of people have gone max. They're, yeah. they're, they're not coming in saying, oh, I'd love to buy a place that's got you know three bedrooms, two bathrooms, because that's what I need. It's what can I, what's my maximum I can borrow and then go to market. It's not the yes. other way around. What do I need? And yes. then come and come and talk about the, the funding. 
Um, they're basically saying, what is my max? And then going to find a property that's mm. about $1,000 under that. Yeah. And, so then, it's just, it's and then coming back to us and then going a few months later, oh, can we fix now? Because we're just worried with rate rises and it's, mm. it's unfortunately too late. So... Those types careful. of clients may be, may be uh, in the gun a bit when rates do rise, but when you look at the history of time and what's happening out there, rates at a higher level isn't the worst thing. No, definitely not. It's all about um, control and keeping things steady. Um, speaking of, of steady, our, our third topic today is one that every single person in this country has been affected by. Mm-hmm. It is something that is, it, it doesn't appear to be going away uh, with the current approach to how we're doing things. Um, now you and I, I know, we, you know, we're no, no politicians by any means and we generally don't, uh, don't talk about anything that's, uh, that's too politically driven. However, we are still facing huge skilled and labour shortages. So construction sites, car, hospitality, even professional services, everyone is facing these um, labour and, and staff shortages because uh, we're effectively still having people stuck at home, isolating for seven days every single time they walk past someone with, with, with COVID. So if we keep this mentality and we keep going around in this circle, but some people have had it and then they become a close contact and then they still have to go home for seven days because whatever, you know, there's, there's, there's now people are being a little bit more loose about it. However, we've got, we've got people that are willing and able and not sick at home isolating for seven days. Yes. It, it, I don't know, in my opinion, if you test negative that day, go to work yeah. and you're not sick, but someone at your house might be, then get, get back into it. Um, even when you are infected, they're sick for two or three days. They might be infectious for a bit longer, whatever. Yeah. I don't know, I don't know the, the ins and outs and I don't really care. If you're not unwell, then you should be going to work. Yeah. Well, why does it have to be a hard and fast seven days for everyone? Because there doesn't seem to be putting... Uh, there's no point in putting this many people out of work for so long, given there seems to be no apparent... Uh, there's no apparent way to control the spread in any case anyway. So we need to drop the rules altogether and... When we look at a look at another nation as a bit of a model as to how this is working, you look at Sweden's approach. Now, obviously, they were they were in the in the in the firing line early on, and with everything. Then it turned out that they're about the same as everyone else because yes. it appears nothing works. Yes. Then their GDP growth, it is back to pre-pandemic levels already. They're moving forward, and their inflation set to peak in the next few months at around four and a half percent. Um, I'd, I'd hate to see where ours is going to peak, and the US is already up to nearly 8% now. I think they're 7.5% in the most recent um, yeah. FOMC announcement the other week. And Sweden are looking at being back at 2% by the end of 2022. Their inflation as well is not fueled by printing money. It's, inf- it's fueled by cost of oil, which was global yes. as a result of the, the Russia-Ukraine issue. Mm-hmm. And that was captured on transport costs and also their food prices. Now, this is funny. Sweden's non-alcoholic drinks have increased, but their beer prices have remained steady. <laughs> this is fucking priorities, man. Yeah. These guys are doing it right. <laughs> so, yeah, like I said, no, no crazy money printing and, and putting themselves into a position of uncontrollable debt. Um, they're a beast of a country. They have no skill shortages. Their unemployment is coming down and no COVID protocols at all for the last, like, nearly six months, no COVID protocols. And they're going to the pub. And they're going to the pub, and their beer prices stayed the same. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is uh, this is uh, an interesting concept, and it just appears that they are yeah, about the same as every other country in the world. Yeah, they they they're definitely We're leading the, the way. Yeah. So um, 
the other point was that um, just looking like to, to support the the my opinion that we, everything should be removed is that the daily deaths globally are now back at what they were uh, in March 2020 before this yeah. whole thing started. Mm. Let's go back to what it was just before March 2020. Let's fucking get yeah. back into it. And get people back to all work. these significant issues that could happen with the economy if we yeah. keep going the way we're going. Yeah, just get get everyone back to work. Get everyone back uh, back back into into firing uh, firing this bastard up. Yep, agreed. Mate, that's uh, yeah, not a, not a topic we like to chat about, but just something's important that needs to happen. So, mm. um, and obviously in this world of doom and gloom, costs of uh, living skyrocketing, wars, media exacerbating the actual situation. Um, you know, what does this breed in our closing notes for people looking to uh, looking to to take that leap mm. forward and really propel yeah. themselves? Yeah, definitely. It, it, it's going to be opportunities, no 100%. doubt, for, for, for a lot of people. And, and whenever there's a challenge, and we've seen that in our business, um, challenge creates opportunities. So for people that knowing rates will go up, knowing that there may be a, 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 a knock-on effect with property prices, be ready. Mm. Be ready for the opportunities to present. Some people may unfortunately be under mortgage stress in these times, may need to sell at a lower pro- price, so be ready. Mm. So we're seeing a lot of clients maybe starting to see that you know, getting themselves ready to be uh, in the market later this year. So, yeah, t- take advantage of it. People did back in 1987 mm. in the market crash when it got to 17% back at GFC when it got to 9% interest yeah, rate. Yeah, that's the time to strike. They're the times to, to, to get into the market. So, um, yeah, take this opportunity now. Definitely, definitely. So um, we'll wrap up there, mate. Thanks, uh, thanks everyone for listening. We hope you got something out of today's episode, which is brought to you by RateTracker.com.au, where you can track your home loan interest rate in real time. And we can't wait to be back next week. Enjoy. Fantastic. Thank you.